Welcome to the Food Matters Live podcast, where we showcase the innovations, the big ideas and the visionaries in the food industry. We dig deep, we look to the future and the past, and we question everything that we think we know about food. I'm Stefan Gates. I'm a food science writer, TV presenter and a gastronaut. Today, we're looking at the role of nutrition in bone health. Now, fragile bones means that we're more likely to get fractures and osteoporotic or fragility fractures affect an awful lot of us. Globally, one in three women and one in five men who are older than 50. And these fractures can have a huge impact on the quality of life. Now, nutrition has a vital role to play here because protein, calcium and vitamin D are important elements elements in bone health. So today, let's look at all the science behind this and ask how to get the right amounts of those nutrients at various stages in our lives. And we'll look at other factors that play a major role from magnesium, alcohol consumption and exercise. We'll also be looking at how the food industry might learn from this information and ask how we could innovate or reformulate foods to help improve the population's bone health. With me is the fantastic Professor Janet Cade, who leads the Nutritional Epidemiology Group at the University of Leeds, where she studies the relationship of diet to chronic disease development. Welcome to the podcast, Janet. Great to have you. Well, thank you very much. Good to be here. Excellent. How are your bones feeling today? Yeah, not bad. I did a dog walk this morning, so that has sort of mm-hmm. helped to strengthen them a, a bit more. And well done. In fact, I'm drinking a cup of tea now, which interestingly we found that might also help too oh well come on to that. I, I, I went for a run this morning did better than you with my mm. dog my dog however although i was running the dog just carried on walking but just walked as fast as i was running I, i'm not sure if this is relevant <laughs> at all but uh, but i thought i'd tell you anyway um, right let's start talking by talking about children now obviously our bones are growing and developing when we're young um babies bones sort of fuse after birth and things like that happen so it's all quite fascinating but i don't know anything about it what is actually happening in and to our bones and when is that process at its peak yeah well we're gaining minerals in our bones right from birth to in fact post puberty and it's quite a complicated process we do have over 200 bones in our bodies so there's a lot of them and they're formed of a mixture of minerals like calcium you mentioned and organic material such as collagen from proteins and the amount of bone that we gain during puberty is is really key to achieving a peak bone mass that's the amount of bone that we've got Um, and that of course is a major factor in future fracture risk when we get older so girls who start puberty younger have stronger bones when they become mature compared to those with a later start of puberty In fact, it's quite interesting, I I think anyway, that we continue to gain bone mass after we've finished growing to our maximum height. So bones stop growing in length between about 16 to 18 years, but bone density, the amount of bone tissue that you have, continues to increase slowly, peaking about in our mid-20s. In general, The amount of bone that we've got, peak bone mass, is greater in men than women and also varies by ethnicity. So there are a few things there where there might be some differences. Now, you're telling me that I'm not growing anymore, that that I really have reached my peak at the grand old age of 200 years old. Well, absolutely. You're, You're not growing taller, but your bones are continuing to to 
change really um and 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 lots of cells in our body are replaced they you know they 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 die and they're replaced is is the same happening with our bones is that a constant um cycle going on there yes yes it is so bones continue to sort of change those bone cells throughout life because it's alive it's you know our bones aren't a dead structure yeah. sort of holding us up like a bit of metal our overall all bone strength is a combination of how much bone tissue we have and how healthy or strong it is and both of these things change as we get older so in your bones and in my bones right now older worn out bone tissues being broken down by specialist cells called osteoclasts and being rebuilt by bone building cells called osteoblasts and and bone marrow is is the place where where our blood is is sort of made it's a blood factory as well is it that is that correct that's right bones do a range of things for us actually not just um keep us standing upright they're protecting our organs they're forming our blood they're giving something for our muscles to attach to so that we can actually move so bones are, are really useful so when we talk about about fragile bones or problems with bones what is it that we're actually concerned about well it's to do with the amount of bone mass that we've accumulated during our lifetime so if that's not been enough or there's been too much bone breakdown then we are at risk of fracturing. Um, Even actually your mother's nutritional status could affect your own peak bone mass. So it's important to think about that when, you know, if a woman's pregnant to make sure her nutritional intake is optimal for her child's later bone mass. And actually, we also know that breastfeeding, as opposed to um, baby milk, also increases the bone density later in life. So there's some interesting things there. There are some genetic factors involved and we can't change those. And we can't change how old we are, much as we might like to. And I can't change being a woman. So there's osteoporosis and broken bones more common in women than men, partly as a result of hormone changes at menopause. But there are some things that we can change which could help our bone mass. So if you have a low body weight or you're underweight, you're more likely to have lower bone tissue and also less padding, particularly around the hips, um, to cushion a fall should you trip. And smoking, in fact, is a really important factor. If you smoke, your bones are less dense because um, smoking slows down the cells that builds our bones up and also too much alcohol affects those bone building cells but also of course as perhaps hopefully none of your listeners uh, over new year but you know potentially unsteady potentially falling so alcohol's not good for, for a number of reasons now i know that you're an epidemiologist rather than a, a, an anatomy specialist but can you just tell us what is a bone i mean it's there's a fair amount there's over 50 percent protein some calcium but but what what is what is a, a bone what's in what's inside there and and what else is it up to yeah so bones are made of a whole range of different um elements there's the minerals the calcium which forms a hard bit but then there's the protein network which gets mineralized by the calcium so and the vitamins that we need vitamin d vitamin k help to assimilate the 
calcium in there. There's a whole range actually of things, um, other smaller amounts of water even, and fats and phosphorus. So an overall healthy diet can help our bones be healthier for sure. Yep. Yeah. So so how how does that work? Because obviously we eat lots of different foods. We eat mussels from animals and that's that's a, 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 a whole protein. But but when we eat the, the nutrients that we need, the, the calcium, the vitamin D, the, the protein, does that equal calcium, protein and vitamin D in our bones? Or is there a process by which it's all broken down by our metabolism and then rebuilt all over again? I mean, or, or, or is it much simpler than that? Does it, do we eat it and it just flows into our bones? Well, no, of course it doesn't. So we have to digest the, the nutrients from the foods that we're consuming and then they're broken down and then they're built back up, if you like. So there's the whole process that we need to go through um, absorption and digestion. And we know that um, proteins, for example, from meat, fish, milk, eggs, you know, animal proteins are um, incorporated into bone as part of that collagen structure, which the mineralization of bone occurs. And proteins from animals do tend to be more easily absorbed and digested. Now, you don't have to consume animal proteins. Of course, you don't. But um, they are well known to be sort of more easily consumed and taken into our bodies to be used for also muscle building as well as bones. I don't know whether you would be interested to know, but you might be, that um, those proteins, which I, I just focus on for a minute here, are made up of amino acids. And we think of proteins from animal foods as being complete proteins. So there are nine essential amino acids. These are small components of proteins that allow us to make all the things that we need in our body. And some plant proteins such as beans legumes nuts those sorts of things are also complete protein sources but other plant foods don't have all of those amino acids so they're not considered to be complete so we do need to think a little bit about you know if you're on a vegetarian diet what is the type of protein that you're consuming we need to make sure it's it's complete and of course, it is quite possible to combine plant proteins to ensure all of the relevant amino acids are present in the diet. You know, uh, plant-based milks, we need to think a bit about them. Do they have adequate protein or adequate calcium compared to cow's milk, for example? So it's not necessarily the, the protein comes in and becomes protein in your body. It's, it's, but you're offering your body the ingredients that are primed to make that stuff. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so how important is nutrition to bone health? Is there something, how, how boldly can we, can we make the connection? Well, I think it's, it's incredibly important. If we, if we don't have those building blocks, we can't make the bone. Obviously, I've mentioned regular physical exercise, other things we can do. But if we don't have those basic building blocks of you know, calcium, proteins, vitamin D to help get all that in there, we're not going to have healthy bones. Do you feel that uh, the topic of healthy bones and the importance of it and, and the con connection with nutrition is neglected uh, by the population as a whole? Yeah, I think people tend to think about 
bones in children, so children growing taller. But I don't think we've necessarily realised that actually it's at that in the early adult years where we need to think about bone density, how strong our bones are. And of course, after the menopause, bones lose strength uh, more quickly because we think that estrogen's involved in that. So estrogen levels drop after the menopause. Um, whereas in men, that the male sex hormone testosterone can also help to keep bones healthy and that um, men continue to produce testosterone into an old age. But if, you, if as a man you have low levels of testosterone, you also have increased risk of lower bone density. Does HRT um, help with with maintaining bone health as well as all the other hormonal elements to it? Yes, it can do. I think, you know, trying to rebalance those hormone levels will allow a woman to keep her bones as strong as possible. But there are other things that you can do postmenopausally, making sure that you're eating enough protein and there's a lot of debate in academic circles around how much protein should be consumed um, in older age should we be consuming more than the reference intakes or not Um, so uh, there's some argument there and there's a bit of confusion as well actually certainly in my mind as much as anything but you know the the idea of osteoporosis being sort of having too much calcium and and you know I I know that's an oversimplification of what's going on but but is that a relevant issue that you know that eating too much calcium eating too much protein as much as having having not enough I don't think people in general eat too much calcium Um, you can overload your body with protein but that's really more in the sort of bodybuilder category so for the general population we're not doing that the whole angle of osteoporosis really is is about losing that calcium um, from the bones so whether you eat it or not hopefully if you're eating enough calcium that will allow you to replace it but there are other reasons than just not having enough calcium in your diet so you might not be able to lay it down you might not have enough vitamin d in your diet to allow that to to happen and osteoporosis is a strange thing because if you were to look at a bone from the outside which has got osteoporosis you can't see it it's what's going on inside the bone that honeycomb structure that keeps uh, our bones rigid those holes in that honeycomb structure which are formed of sort of calcium strands those are getting bigger and generally breaking down and you could be then at risk of fracturing yeah just realized why i had the dream last night about about diving into a uh, a chalk filled swimming pool over and over again it was reading my notes for talking to you uh, that's entirely relevant <laughs> um, but let's get to to the epidemiology side of this um how prevalent is poor bone health today how much does it affect people because we can't see osteoporosis if you like with the naked eye and only when you fracture do does it become obvious People have tried to study uh, weaker or fragile bones using x-rays to see bone composition. And we know by doing that, that there are rates of about 20% of osteoporosis or weak bones in women and lower rates in men. Worldwide, it's an enormous problem. Um, I think you mentioned some stats at the start, but 200 million women are suffering from osteoporosis. 
and uh, it causes 9 million fractures annually. Um, so with an osteoporosis fracture every three seconds, that, that's a big uh, demand on our health service. So if there's anything we can do to try and reduce those rates, I think it's worth trying. So let's let's look at the the, the research on this. Um, can you talk us through the key elements that we need for good bone health and why they're good for us? What what can we obviously it's not ethically sound to break someone's bones and find out if they, if they, how strong they were in the first place. Um, so so how do you research this kind of thing and how do we know what's good for us and what isn't? Well, whilst we can measure bone composition fairly easily, taking a piece of bone and, and looking at the chemicals that's in there. Studying how nutrition links to bone health is, well, in my view, a little bit more complicated and needs particular types of study to be carried out. And these are epidemiological studies. Um, I think we're probably all a bit amateur epidemiologists now post-COVID. So it's all about studying disease in populations. And our current epidemiological evidence base is actually quite limited i think you'd be surprised studies are often small sizes short study lengths and you know if i eat something today it's not going to affect my bones today it's going to affect over time so you need long enough and to study this and measures of diet are also potentially rather limited and poor it's a real minefield, isn't it? It, it, it is. From um, a large study called the UK Women's Cohort, and we've been using this to explore associations with hip fracture risk. We've got a national cohort of over 35,000 middle-aged women established about 20 years ago to, to look at diet in relation to cancer, heart disease, and things like now we've look, been able to look at um, hip fracture. Our women have a wide range of different eating patterns, so lots of vegetarians in there as well as fish eaters and meat eaters. And we classified um, our women in the cohort as regular meat eaters, so eating at least five servings a week, occasional meat eaters, fish eaters or vegetarians. Since the cohort started 20 odd years ago, there were not very many people eating a vegan style of diet, so we didn't have enough to look at them separately. And incidence of hip fracture was identified through hospital episode statistics from the NHS, um, so we could get some really accurate rates of hip fracture um, in our cohort. And interestingly, we found that women who were eating a vegetarian diet had 33% higher risk of hip fracture compared to regular meat eaters. Wow, that's that's huge, isn't it? It is huge. And um, I think we, well, I'm not saying we were surprised, but we were, we were a little surprised here. Now, our study is one of very few to look at this. There's only been one other study, large study, in the UK um, called EPIC from Oxford. And they found some what similar results, increased risk in vegetarians. The um, only other study from the US, the Adventist Health Study, um, did also find a higher risk of hip fracture, but only in vegans. However, they had self-reported hip fracture rates, whereas we had NHS data available. And we, we were able to take account of factors such as smoking and age, and it was only the vegetarian group that had the higher risk. 
So, so smoking wasn't it wasn't um, statistically significant. Uh, uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying taking account of smoking and weight and age. Gotcha. The thing we were looking at was was a vegetarian diet um, increasing or decreasing risk. So, if we were looking at smoking, we would have looked at it in a different way. But gotcha. um, yeah, so if we want to think about why we found those findings. I've got some suggestions for you. So we know while vegetarian diets, of course, can vary widely, you can have healthy or unhealthy vegetarian diets, the same as with diets that include animal products. But I think it's important to think about this because more and more people are choosing to eat less meat or choosing a truly vegetarian or even vegan diet. And whilst we know that vegetarians have higher intakes of some nutrients like fiber and vitamins, which have positive health effects, they also may have lower intakes of nutrients linked with bone and muscle health, like we were talking about earlier, protein, calcium, because those nutrients are generally uh, more abundant in animal products than in plants. So it may be that intakes are too low on a vegetarian diet, and it may be that the types of protein consumed are um, lower quality due to that mix of amino acids that I mentioned uh, before as well. Vegetarians also are often slimmer, and although we did take account of body mass index here, there may still be an effect of that where, you know, if you're slimmer and you fall, you haven't got enough pad as much padding to uh, cushion that break. Is that is that a genuine thing that the, the padding? I mean, that sounds like a sort of a, a an assumption that, that may not be true. But is do you actually it, I mean, the extra body weight is actual padding it helps your bones not get damaged. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it, yes, and and uh, and the sort of the fat there, a little bit of bounce, and the fact that you're putting extra strain, if you like, on your skeleton also helps to keep your bones stronger. So, yes, I think it is. Uh, luckily, I'd like to say that for myself. You know, I don't want to become. I, we know that obesity is not good for you health-wise, but a little bit of extra round the hips may well be protective. And it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because I, I remember the, the concept of having a fall when I was, you know, you know, younger than 30. It was almost a joke. It was sort of it was it's sort of a joke that would be included in, in, a, in a comedian's routine. Whereas now, as my, my folks have got older and, and people around me have got older, the idea of having a fall and how devastating it can be is suddenly dramatic and real. And, and ideas like having a bit more padding aren't just a joke. It, these things can be significant in, in the quality of your life, can't they? Mm, yes, it can. And you can do some quite simple exercises as well to try and improve your balance to potentially reduce um, fall risk as well. Although, obviously, that's not related necessarily to what you're eating. But there are some things you can do standing on one leg whilst you're brushing your teeth, that sort of thing, which is useful. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought I would hear you saying that during this interview. Anyway, okay, so um, now, okay, you mentioned alcohol and smoking as being uh, problematic for bone health. Well, why? What's the mechanism behind that? I mean, we know that these things are, are bad in many different ways, but why would it affect your bone health? Well, um, smoking seems to affect those osteoblasts, slowing down the process of bone reformation, and alcohol has a similar effect, plus 
the added risk of falling if you're a bit tipsy. So that's why you need some padding. Okay, um, now... I mean, we have, as you mentioned earlier on, there's, you know, there's a lot of protein in the Western diet and possibly too much protein in, in that case. So why, why are so many people in, in Europe affected by bone fractures and bad bone health? Well, as we discussed, you know, as you start to get older, that bone loss outstrips the bone formation. So whilst people generally eat an adequate amount of protein, at least based on our reference requirements, there might be some people with lower protein intake. So I think the protein, protein's important here. And we found in our study that women with higher protein intakes had a lower risk of fracture. So for each additional 25 grams a day of protein, and I'll tell you that's about three eggs a steak or a piece of salmon or 150 grams of tofu that's giving you about 25 grams of protein risk of having a hip fracture reduced by 14 percent so whilst we found an increased risk in vegetarian women we also looked at those different nutrients and we found that um, higher protein intakes led to lower risk of hip fracture yeah. And is there a balance here? Are there other uh, potential downsides of a high protein diet, which may, which may counter? I mean, obviously, it doesn't nece- wouldn't necessarily impact bone health, but cause other problems that you would need as an epidemiologist to balance out? Not in the general population. And I'm looking at um, overall population samples. There may be some people that take protein supplements and I wouldn't recommend those. There has been discussion about putting extra stress on the kidneys with these protein supplements, but it's not something I would be thinking about in the same breath as bone health, for sure. Fantastic. Okay, so let's get to the nuts and bolts of nutrition, calcium, protein and vitamin D. Um, Where should we be getting those uh, those nutrients from uh, in our diet? Yeah, well, there are, of course, really good sources of um, calcium in um, dairy products everyone knows that cheese that sort of thing but meats and some vegetables too um, and proteins are in similar foods so i think that they tend to go together vitamin d on the other hand is a bit harder to get from our diets and in general we think about vitamin d being formed in our bodies through action of some on our skin in the summer but in the winter in the UK we don't get enough access to sunlight unless we go uh, abroad so it has been suggested that um, vitamin D supplements might be useful not particularly for osteoporosis but at least to prevent vitamin D deficiency which um, we know that quite a, a number of adults in the UK do have low levels of vitamin D and low levels of vitamin D can cause things like rickets in children or bone pain and muscle weakness in adults. So we do get vitamin D in oily fish, red meat, some fortified foods, fat spreads and breakfast cereals. But perhaps if you want to be on the safe side, particularly during the winter, you might consider taking a supplement. 
Now, vitamin D had um, had a had a good lockdown, basically, didn't it? During COVID times, um, it, it hit the headlines in various different ways, um, and more people uh, started taking supplements. More people started taking notice of, of vitamin D as something that might help with um, the immune system. Because people were were more concerned about taking it in, in their diet generally, did that have a secondary impact on bone health? I mean, we don't know that. It's too soon too too soon to say. I'm sure that there are some groups looking at that. I'm also, I don't know, I'm a little bit suspicious sometimes about the supplement uh, manufacturers who would really like us to take um, vitamin D supplements, whether or not we need them. And I think that it is quite interesting that sort of systematic reviews that have been done, where all research that we know about this has been brought together on the topic, find mixed results. So one review's found that um, daily supplements of vitamin D with calcium um, could reduce risk of hip fracture, but another review didn't find any effect um, on either vitamin D or calcium supplements reducing risk of hip fracture. And it's certainly not clear in people who aren't obviously vitamin D deficient. So I think we, Whilst we're recommending vitamin D, if you take a supplement, it's not necessarily going to affect your bones. Yeah. Now, this podcast um, has a lot of listeners who are in the food industry. And I wondered what role, positive or negative, do you think the food industry has had in the state of our bone health? I mean, when you talk about bones, for sure, people think about milk. You know, drink a glass of milk when you're a a child to make your bones healthier. And then that gets kind of extrapolated a bit further to suggest that, well, you know, if you drank milk as a child, that's going to make your bones strong and prevent you getting a um, fracture. But actually, most studies have failed to show any link between dairy intake and uh, broken bones. And uh, this was shown in a a recent review in the British Medical Journal. So it's not true that we need to drink milk for healthy bones. And and so and and anything else that you can say about the food industry and 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 its part in this? I mean, because because, you know, protein is touted a lot. You know, we get protein bars around. Um, You know, have have there been negative effects on bone health due to the food industry at any level? Well, again, an interesting question. And, you know, one in five ready meals are now vegetarian or vegan um, in the UK. And we need to think a little bit about that because the sort of health halo that gets um, put on, you know, it's vegetarian, it must be good for you. Maybe we need to just dig a bit deeper to think about the nutritional composition there, the nutritional quality of those uh, products, as well as the taste. So how much fat and protein is in those processed um, foods? you know let's not confuse sort of traditional vegetarian diets which is what our evidence around um health relationships between you know eating a vegetarian diet and health is based on the more traditional diets people now are eating a lot of um pre-prepared foods and they may be quite different in nutritional composition to those more traditional diets so i think we need to 
look more carefully at what's in in our foods in there for example so you know it's recommended to have about 20 grams of protein at each meal is that true for our vegetarian alternatives it may be but let's have a look um so in terms of you mentioned sort of sources of of food i mean is is the basic sort of healthy meal uh just the the general advice you know should is the the advice that is not particularly sexy because it's not original it doesn't offer a a magic pill is uh, eat more vegetables uh, cook for yourself as much as, as possible eat seasonally and and cook from fresh Anything else you could add to that? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. Of course, those are the things that we need to be doing. And I always feel a bit guilty when I'm saying to people, you know, well, eat more protein or eat more calcium or eat more magnesium or whatever. Who knows how much, you know, do you know how much zinc you had in your diet yesterday? No, you don't. And so the other part of my research, uh, just to mention briefly, is helping people to understand more about um, what nutrients they are uh, consuming. And we've developed a nutritional analysis app called MyFood24, which is now available through some GPs and clinicians. And it helps you to keep a record of everything you're eating and then translates that into nutrients. So you know if you were eating enough protein or calcium, you'd be, it would give you confidence there. There are a lot of apps out there, so make sure you use one if you are going to use one that gives you reliable results, because we've done some work showing that many of these apps are not really reliable, don't give accurate findings. So if you were thinking about using an app to give you more information, you should ask your doctor or a dietitian for something reliable like MyFood24. And there's a set of them that are recommended by NICE, I believe. Um, there's, I think, five um, that have been passed as adequate by them. Um, quite what that means, I don't really know. Yeah, there's there's a number that you can find on an ORCA website, including our software, yeah. Mm-hmm. So is there anything else that you would like to see the food industry doing to help people maintain bone health? or Or is that just too too specific or too leading or does it lead to sort of misconstrued health claims well i think even even an appreciation that food intake could affect our bones would be welcomed you know we don't really see that perhaps in the dairy industry yes but not elsewhere and if we think more broadly around governments as well as the food industry then i would like to see a bit of a move towards prevention rather than cure. You know, I said osteoporosis, we can't see it until we fractured. So actually we need to think about how do we prevent that bone loss? And it's about making sure that people are um, well nourished, have adequate protein, calcium, etc., are stopping smoking, all of that stuff we talked about, because prevention has got to be better than cure. And of course it's not, very sexy for medical professionals because it's public health rather than some fancy new treatment for something or other which costs a lot of money but actually if we put more effort into public health i think we could really help people so we should should be doing that of course you know we said well dietary patterns today are very different from those 20 years ago so 
we need to think about making sure that we've got appropriate evidence based on how people are eating today and so we do need to be sadly funding more yet yeah, more research but if we don't fund it never going to happen with today's vegetarian diet you would never know exactly so we need we need more perhaps older cohorts to be established now maybe making use of new technologies which we have available to us now which we didn't before so i think you know there's there's things that we can do and if there was political will to 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 do some sort of legislated sort of blanket fortification wouldn't that actually be relevant you know if we added something to bread or to water i mean is there something that everyone could make use of or would you be damaging as many people as you'd be helping well i think maybe we could have additional information on food packaging labels um, we already have protein as a mandatory nutrient on our back of pack label. So maybe we could think about a protein quality score, you know, how mm -hmm. much and what quality as is it. As in terms of pro protein quality and, and completeness. Yeah, protein quality. Gotcha. Yep. And so, and uh, so for our listeners, I, I believe that, that yep. when you say something is a high quality protein, that's the same as saying it's a complete protein or it's, it's got as exactly. many of the amino acids as you would hope for for complete protein. Exactly. Yes, that's right, which there is no indication of that. And we also don't have calcium on the back of the label either. So that could be something that could be added, or at least most labels. I don't think we know enough yet about amounts of protein at different age groups or calcium uh, or vitamin D indeed to introduce sort of regulations like we're doing with the sugar tax and sugar sweetened beverages. I don't think we've got to that point yet. Um, so I wouldn't be recommending that. Gotcha. Okay. Now, and, and just in, to put this into less less epidemiological but sort of personal terms, is there one thing, is there one thing that you just think, come on, guys, if you just did this, it would help you so much. Just one thing to, I mean, I, I know that science isn't about a magic bullet, but, but, but is there one thing that frustrates you that people don't do that maybe they should? I'm going to go with three quick things. I'm sorry. Three. Sorry. But no, that's good. That's good. You're allowed three. Okay, great. So one, maintain a healthy weight. So make sure you've got some padding. If, bit of padding. Yeah, yeah, a bit of padding. Plan your diet, particularly if you're going to be eating less meat, to make sure you get enough nutrients for bone health. And then lead a generally healthy lifestyle, avoiding smoking and excessive alcohol with taking regular weight-bearing exercise. So that run with the dog this morning was perfect. Yeah, the, it was a run for me, but not for the dog. Professor Janet Cade, Nutritional Epidemiology Group Lead at the University of Leeds, thank you so much. You have been a fount of knowledge. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, there are hundreds more at foodmatterslive.com. And remember, if you enjoy the Food Matters Live podcast, you can subscribe via your preferred platform. And if you feel inclined, please go on, leave us a review. Thank you so much for listening. Mm -hmm.